Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we're going to discuss memoirs, but before we get started, I think we had some follow-up from the last episode, Anne. Yeah, my computer's haunted. That's what. <laughs> totally makes sense. It's October. <laughs> What other explanation could there be? Well, and I think it's an all-year haunting, to be honest. So <laughs> um, so last week, if you were listening to my description of still life, you may have noticed that there was something that didn't make sense, i.e. the entire description. Um, so basically, I every week something goes wrong with my computer, uh, and I don't know what it is. I don't know why it drops out, but it normally isn't that big of a deal. But last week, it, it cut out right during the like the main description of the mystery. So I don't think you miss too much just based on context. But if you need more information, then the mystery is that a well-liked woman is murdered. And that's a departure from other (laughs) mysteries where it's usually someone that isn't well-liked. So I think that's the gist of what I was talking about during that part. But apologies, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But yeah, a couple of weeks ago, the audio wasn't connected correctly and it was recording through my laptop and not through my microphone and then last week it dropped out and I don't get it I'm not technical enough to know what like how to fix the things that go Mm -hmm. wrong so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of frustrating but stick with us we'll get it figured out we'll get there we'll figure it out for sure yeah I have faith hopefully you like the content yeah (laughs) hopefully you like a homegrown effort yes (laughs) that is definitely what this is as I'm sitting on the floor in my closet (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right. Well, so let's talk about memoirs, Anne. So yeah. I don't, I think this was your idea for a topic, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We just needed something that we, we both kind of have a lot going on right now. And so mm-hmm. I think we needed something that was something we had read a fair amount mm-hmm. of and mm-hmm. didn't have to necessarily read a lot to get ready for. So um, memoirs are every place and they're so popular right now. And so I don't personally read a, a ton of them. I, I read some, but I don't think nearly as many as you do. Yeah, I do read a fair number. In fact, I wasn't even that aware of how many until I was picking what to talk about today. Right. And I was like, I could talk about this, or I could talk about this, or I could talk about that. But yeah, I actually typically uh, do audiobooks for memoirs. Oh, because right. often it is the person whose story it is doing the audio narration and so then it sort of feels like somebody who's a friend is telling you their story so I really really like the audio format for memoirs even when it's not actually the person who whose story it is narrating it still feels like it (laughs) because of course you've never heard that person before so for educated you've never heard Tara Westover's voice so the audiobook narrator works just as well as if you you did know her yeah so yeah I do I do most of these in fact two out of the three I'm going to talk about today uh, I listen to as audiobooks. But yeah, I mean, I think that clearly there is public interest in memoirs. I think that, I think in our fall book preview, I had done a memoir and we sort of obliquely referred to that about how much people loved Educated and mm-hmm. uh, how that really, really caught fire. There's something about reading about people's real lives and experiences and particularly if they've overcome it mm-hmm. that I think people find very powerful. So, uh, and then there's like, also the fun gossipy celebrity memoir right. which i think people really enjoy too so i think there's a lot of reasons why you would would like memoirs it sometimes opens yourself up to experiences that you would never have in your own life or like an inside peek into something that you wouldn't know so 
I think yeah. I think there's a lot of appeal to memoir. I think that once I realized memoirs were not the same as autobiographies, mm-hmm. then I became much more interested in them. But growing up, like they're used so interchangeably, I think, in the non-library world. Mm-hmm. Um, and autobiographies are technically the whole life mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. And memoirs are more like this is a curated look at one aspect or you know it, it's a little bit more selective I think and right. so and that appeals to me a lot more and so when I think when I had always grown up thinking about memoirs I was picturing like an old man talking into a tape recorder about and then in 1952 <laughs> I won this award like and that just didn't appeal yeah. to me at all yeah. and so it wasn't until probably until I became a librarian that it that it sounded at all interesting to me and I sort of realized what the distinction was and what what you could do with the memoir that was different than just regurgitating facts about your presidential campaign or whatever. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) There are lots of different kinds of memoirs out there. There are the ones, I mean, would they be considered a memoir where somebody like does something for a year? You know, I think so. Popular a few years ago. I I love those those. so much. Me too. They're completely addictive. Me too. Yeah. I read a few of those. Like, I feel like they hit kind of their peak popularity maybe five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I read every single one I could get my hands on. I loved it. <laughs> I don't know why. I loved it. Like, it was like Julie and Julia was a great one. Yeah. And I don't know. There's just lots of fun. Again, something I would never do. I don't think I would ever pick something for a year and do it and then write yeah. on it. But it's fun. But life as an experiment is a, is a great way of, right. of like right. tailoring your life to something that makes it different than it it just stands out a little bit differently than the rest of your experience so yeah yeah yeah. Um, all right well oh yeah oh and and also just fall is the big time that celebrity memoirs come out and so it's kind of fun to talk about all kinds of memoirs right now because that's there there there's so many huge ones that are coming out like the Demi Moore one is huge Mm -hmm. right now and the Elton John one and Mm -hmm. I know there are lots more that I can't Mm -hmm. think of but it's just it that seems to be the the publishing push right now so yeah yeah so this is perfect timing yeah all right well do you have your first one that I do. you wanted to talk about so my first book is is everyone hanging out without me and other concerns by Mindy Kaling and this is kind of unusual for me because I very rarely read celebrity memoirs. Um, when I was looking over Goodreads, I think I only had about three that I had ever read. But I really love Mindy Kaling, so I loved this one. And she wrote this when she was still a writer and an actor on The Office, and it covers her childhood as the daughter of Im- Indian immigrants to her rise to success in Hollywood. She originally got into comedy when she was a student at Dartmouth, and then she I think as a sophomore did an internship at uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien and she says that she was less of a go make copies kind of intern and more of a stalking Conan kind of intern which I think is <laughs> probably the kind of intern I would be too and so from there once she was finished with college she she went on to co- co-write and co-star in an off-Broadway play called Matt and Ben that imagined the friendship between Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and she uh, played Ben Affleck so that as as one of course would totally typecast <laughs> yeah, right? yeah 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 <laughs> so then she that became this kind of surprise hit that got a lot of it of press attention and so she was contacted to work on the office as a writer and then she became a, a, a kind of side actress on the office and later directed um, episodes and was nominated for an Emmy for the work that she did there and so she sort of became famous for 
she became kind of synonymous, I guess, with the character that she played on The Office, which was self-centered and celebrity obsessed. And then later on, when she created The Mindy Project, she sort of continued on with that that uh, reputation that she had. And I love that she's really, really smart, but she also does unabashedly love celebrity gossip and fashion and is concerned about her social life and that she embraces both sides of herself, but she's it's a really self-aware way that she does it. I don't think I'm really, really smart, but I do identify with like loving frivolous things, but also wanting to think about them critically too. So mm-hmm. it's it's just super appealing to me. And I, I like this memoir because it, it kind of has the typical memoir information, but it also has these short essays and sort of lists of random things that she's that she just has on her mind. So that she covers things like her favorite moments in comedy and non-traumatic things that have made her cry. And then she has a section of narcissistic photos that she's taken of herself, which <laughs> um, I actually listened to this on audiobook, but then I later on bought a used copy of it. And so I was look, looking it over as I was writing my notes and I thought, oh my gosh, I missed all these great pictures because she just kind of has those scattered throughout the book. So, which is very fun. So later on, um, she, as I said, she created the Mindy Project and she became this sort of mega boss of everything that she does. But this was written when she, this was written before she was a household name. So I find the tone kind of, it's fresher and I find it more charming than her later Mm -hmm. memoir that she Mm -hmm. wrote, which is called Why Not Me? Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that sounds right. Um, Oh, good. Yeah. So from this book, I kind of get a sense that she's still figuring things out rather than writing from a place of wisdom, which I think I enjoy that tone a little bit more in memoirs. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking of of like, Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. And that's mm-hmm. very much written from a place of I've I've done these things and I figured them out. And I, I kind of like more of the younger woman's I don't know what I'm doing, but this is where I am. And mm-hmm. this is what I've what I've been doing along the way. So this is what I have to say about it. So I, I really like that about it. And that is, is everyone hanging out without me by Mindy Kaling. Absolutely. I liked that one a lot. That was another one I did on audio and I thought it was incredibly charming and very relatable, even though yeah. like, we don't live in Hollywood, but it was just very relatable. One of the things I think it's in that book, not her other one, where she talks about not being like a size double zero in Hollywood and what sort of what that means and sort of where where that puts her because she's not plus size and they it's the impression is either you need to be one or the other in Hollywood either like nobody wants to dress the size eight woman (laughs) right (laughs) or something like that yeah she has a list too of of what I'm allowed to wear and it's things like ponchos (laughs) yeah yeah right yeah and then the other thing I don't know if it's that one or the other book where she talks about Reese Witherspoon gave her the advice to always be smiling when paparazzi are around because they're going to take your picture no matter what so you may Uh as well give them like a nice picture and now every time I see photos of Reese Witherspoon I'm always like yep she's smiling like (laughs) That is accurate. She always looks so happy and yeah, friendly. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just yeah. a, it's a very, um, it, I guess that's the book that made me feel like, oh yeah, I could be best friends with this person. Yeah. And, and I didn't get quite the same sense when I listened or read, I can't remember which I did yeah. with, with Why Not Me, because um, it, she just is much more successful in that book and, and has right. a lot more power. And she talks about how much she just is such a workaholic. And, and right. I don't relate to that as much as yeah. as in the first book where she's really trying to find her footing yeah. and she's had success. She's not like, you know, just out of college. She's definitely done things, but she isn't in charge of everything like she later went on to be. So, right. um, yeah. yeah, it's just it's a really, really fun book. Yeah, I totally agree. 
So my first one is Heating and Cooling by Beth Ann Fennelly. And the subtitle of this one is 52 Micro Memoirs. So this oh, is a little yes. bit different than just an ordinary memoir. Beth Ann Fennelly either is or was the Poet Laureate of Mississippi. And so I'll describe the book and then I'll explain a little bit. But there, you definitely see that influence of like poetry, but it's it's not poetry, but it's 52 very, very, very short essays, basically, some of which are just like a sentence or two. They're sort of like snippets or observations and insights about life. And it's everything from the mundane to the really sort of deep, profound, insightful kind of commentary about life. So she talks about motherhood and relationships and Catholicism, but she also talks about pop culture, like who wants to be a millionaire or something else that's on a little bit more frivolous. Because they're so short, I mean, this is what they say about short stories too, right? But this is so short. Like they're literally micro memoirs of like less than a page. You have to choose your words so carefully as the author. And so everything just feels so, so specifically chosen for the purpose to serve the story or to serve the memoir part of it and she's also really self-deprecating so it's it's there's got a lot there's a lot of humor to it and she's she comes across as very likable and relatable and and just sort of like somebody you would like to know in real life but there's also a sense of melancholy to some of the I keep wanting to call them stories but they're not they're just these like little short snippets about her life and it's it's touching at times there's like a poignancy to it as you would imagine a very very quick read I mean there are 52 of them but uh, I think you can read it in about an hour or so and so it's definitely worth taking an hour of your time to read this because for lots of different reasons I think she has some really good observations about life that women in particular, I think, would identify with. And the format is so unusual and different from other memoirs or other types of books I've read. So again, like there is that poetry aspect to it because it's so condensed into such powerful little bits of information, but it's not poetry. I think of poetry as being very dense and sort of hard to decipher. And this is much more straightforward. So I think it's totally worth your time. It's called Heating and Cooling by Beth Ann Fennelly. That sounds so interesting. I, I know that I've I've seen the cover before for sure, um, but I didn't realize that she was a poet. And so that yeah. that kind of makes more sense of, of her choice of, to make it um, or to structure it that way. Yeah. It's got like a half-eaten popsicle on the cover. Which yeah. It's right. something to do with one of the stories. So uh, it's, it's, again, I had, I really struggled not struggle, that's what it sounds like. My life is so hard. But like I had so many excellent <laughs> choices for this episode of what I wanted to talk about. And I kept sh- shifting yeah. in my mind of thinking, I want to talk about this. No, I want to talk about that. So this one I definitely wanted to do because it's unique in the landscape of of memoirs. Yeah. What's your next one? Um, this is a favorite of both you and me. It is Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption by Brian Stevenson. So this is an author that I learned about um, for the first time when I heard him speak at PLA, which is a public the, the Public Librarian Association or Public Library Association conference. Um, and I he was the opening keynote. I, I I don't know what that officially is called, but he was the opening speaker for the whole thing. And I went into it thinking this is going to be blandly motivational, and wasn't terribly excited because I I just hadn't read anything 
going into the the conference. Um, but then when he was finished, I found that I had taken tons of notes and I had cried at his stories and we all gave him a standing ovation. And it just was was kind of life-changing, this, this whole presentation that he did. And I consider him to be one of the best people I've ever encountered. Obviously, I haven't met him in like face-to-face, but he just was such a just a force of nature and so just passionate about what he does in a way that you don't see with people where it isn't like money driven, basically. Um, so I, I just, I really admire him in a lot of ways. He's a lawyer and a professor and he runs the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization that provides legal representation to prisoners who are possibly wrongly accused or have been denied a fair trial or those that can't afford representation. So, and this book, He's, he's been doing that for many, many years, but this book came out, I think, maybe in 2016 or 2017. And it's sort of this memoir sociology hybrid. And there's so there's one thread that covers the case of Walter McMillan, who is a man that was put on death row in Alabama for a murder he insisted that he didn't commit and had ton, a dozen witnesses who placed him miles away from the crime. But he was still convicted based on the problematic testimony of, of just one accuser. And then the other chapters read like essays on specific issues that Brian Stevenson sees in the criminal justice system. So things like the drastic increase in, in incarceration in the last 30 years and then and the fact that so many children are being tried as adults and are kept in prison with adults. And so then you get a little bit more of the memoir side of things um, where it covers Brian Stevenson's life and how he came to do this work and some of the issues that he's seen in his own life that have moments of blatant racism toward him by, by uh, police officers and arm of justice that's supposed to be protecting him. Um, he gets into all of that. And from what I can tell, he's devoted his entire life to this. It, it doesn't seem like from anything he writes about in the book that he has a personal life that he uses as a way to to sort of let loose from all of this, this really serious stuff that he's handling. He, he just does this. And it's, I just can't imagine living your life that way. But it's so admirable that he does. He, he works tirelessly for people. And they're all the people that society has written off. The, the overall message of the book is an argument for mercy, and it's probably likely to be polarizing for a lot of people, but it has a very powerful argument on how people that seem like they're irredeemable can change. I think that these stories are a powerful reminder that we don't know everything about the circumstances of people's lives, that even if we did something wrong, we all deserve hope and we all deserve to be treated treated humanely. One of the most powerful things he says is that we are all more than the worst thing that we've ever done. So if you've been following the news at all, you know that this has a movie that's coming out in December, and I'm so excited for it. Um, I will probably be seeing it alone because I think it's going to mess me up, and I don't like to cry in front of people, but it will definitely be worth, uh, I think, everyone's time. And that is Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Oh, it's so good. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah. I I give it to people all the time. It's just such an amazing book. Yeah, I always recommend it to people. I, you know, if they haven't read it, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You have to yeah. read that immediately. Yeah. yeah. And so many people, like, I was looking at my uh, Goodreads yesterday, and so many people have read it that I know are not typically people that care a lot about this subject mm-hmm. and how much it's opened their eyes to things. And that's mm-hmm. just really powerful to see that mm-hmm. that he can tell stories that that change people mm-hmm. and, yeah. and that's really amazing yeah yeah yeah. oh so good go yeah. out and read it immediately if you haven't read it already yes please yeah that's one thing you can do for the two of us that's it yes <laughs> that's all we ask 
<laughs> Keep listening, too. Keep listening, but go read that book. Yeah. I have Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. So this is another one I did as an audiobook. Didn't really know much about Trevor Noah at all. Um, I have never watched uh, The Daily Show after he took over, and so... I knew his name, but that was it. And then I don't know how this crossed my radar, but I must have read some good reviews of it or something because I decided to listen to the audiobook. And this is about his experience growing up in South Africa during apartheid. So his mother was a black South African and his father was a white European man. And at the time he was born, which I believe is about 1980, There was a law in South Africa called the Immorality Act of 1927, which outlawed interracial relationships. Literally, when he was born, it was a crime that he existed, which is where born a crime comes from. Uh, His father was pretty absent um, during his childhood. There There are parts of his memoir where he talks a bit about his father, but it's mainly his mother that is kind of the guiding force in his life. And they grew up in poverty, And in um, Soweto, I believe it is called, which is like, I want to say like a slum of uh, in South Africa where like all of the black people were forced to live because of apartheid. But his mother really strongly believed in education and independence. And so because she was such the strong force in his life, she made sure that he was an educated person. There's a lot of seriousness in this story because you would think like, a comedian memoir. This is going to be funny, but uh, and there is a lot of humor to it, but it's in a a very like interwoven with some really dark themes. So he his stepfather was abusive towards him and his mother. Obviously, you're dealing with apartheid. There's a lot of racism and prejudice and things like that. At one point, he is involved in kind of like a low level gang activity because that was just sort of like what his friends did in this in this area where he was living. Um, but there's also a lot of humor and levity. He tells some funny stories of uh, his high school experience, like when he went to the prom and the differences between going to church, like a white church versus a black church and the differences there. So there's some there's some definite funny parts. And the way he tells the story is it's a really nice balance of the more serious with the, the lighter parts. And he is just so eloquent. Like, I believe... This is not a celebrity memoir that I feel like was ghostwritten. <laughs> I think it was. Uh, he was maybe had some help, but I think that these are a lot of his words. I think he's very, very smart, um, has a lot to say about the world, and that all comes through in his writing about his his childhood and as he grew into an adult. His mom is kind of the star of the story, I would say. I mean, as much as it's about him, it's also about his mother. And it's just this wonderful combination of the memoir where you're getting the really personal aspect, but also an insightful history of South Africa, which I don't know that much about um, and, and during a very fraught time in its history. So that is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. I would say if you are going to read this and it are all inclined to do audiobooks, absolutely positively listen to the audiobook. It is incredible. He has such a, a gorgeous voice, too, oh. so I can't imagine not wanting to listen to it. He does the different accents really well of the South Africans. and Oh, cool. Yeah, he's just, it's really, really good. It's really good. In fact, I think I've listened to it twice because I listened oh. to it once on my own and then uh, it won the Audis for the category that I that I judged a couple of years ago. So, Or like last year, maybe. So, awesome. Anyway, it's awesome. 
All right, what's your last one? My last book is Garlic and Sapphires, The Secret Life of a Critic in Disguise by Ruth Reichel, Um, another joint favorite of ours. Um, This one holds a special place in my heart. It's the first book of food writing I ever picked up, and Mm. I didn't know that was a thing before I randomly chose this as an audiobook when I was about to go on a road trip. And it's a choice that changed my life, so I'm super grateful to it. Uh, Ruth Reichel was a former food critic at the LA Times, and she was the last editor of Gourmet Magazine before it folded. Um, And she's written several memoirs, and they each cover a different period of her life. But this is the one that covers her time as the food critic of the New York Times. And when she was there, she really changed the way the newspaper covered food. And so she just has so many fascinating stories to tell about that period in her life. She's originally from New York uh, City, but she lived in, she had lived in California for years as a chef and then was a critic at various newspapers there ending at the LA Times. And then she was offered a job at the New York Times um, in, I think, the early 90s or maybe the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And she found that well, when she got there, that the newspaper only covered the the best restaurants, I'm doing air quotes, um, mm-hmm. which meant French and other Western cuisines, and that everyone in town knew who she was, which isn't what you ideally want when you're a critic. So she realized when she started going to these restaurants that her experiences weren't that of the average person and that she was being being given the best food and the best service and a middle-class person would never have an experience like that. They would be treated very differently. So instead of accepting that, she began to go in disguise and then she started to write her reviews in two parts. So she told how she was treated when she was there as the New York Times food critic and then what she experienced when she was there anonymously. And those are two drastically different experiences. She also began to cover non-European cuisines and treated them with the same reverence that she used for the high-profile restaurants. And that was considered a very controversial move at the time, which seems crazy now. That does seem crazy. Right, right. And so, uh, but it always, uh, it wasn't always that way. So um, she has a lot to do with the fact that, that these other particularly Asian cuisines were seen in the same light as um, French food. So she writes really beautifully about all kinds of topics. Her non-food topics um, are just as beautiful as what she says about food. She talks about what it ta- what it means to be taken seriously as a professional woman, what it's like to be an outsider to an establishment, because even though she was a native New Yorker, everyone saw her as the critic from California. And so she she had to really establish herself there to be taken seriously. She covers a lot of what it means to be aging, um, especially for women, particularly in how she was treated in the restaurants. She would often dress up as an older, like late 60s aged woman and and would see how differently she was treated in that role than as a younger woman. And she also goes a lot into how her family affected her choices in her career and, and the kind of the trajectory that her, her life took. As far as I'm concerned, she, no one does food writing better than she does. She's so evocative in how she talks about things. She's really thoughtful in how she portrays them. And she makes you want to both go eat out and cook, which is kind of at, uh, you know impressive that she can do she can make you want both so much um, and luckily she includes recipes for many of the things that she talks about in her books it's obviously that she appreciates the life that she led but she she doesn't hold it over anyone she's she wants equality in the food world whether that's through 
class equality or racial or ethnic equality or gender equality. She's she really believes in the things that she's preaching. And this is a book that made me want to move to New York City immediately, um, as a lot of pop culture does. But most of those are things that don't represent the way that I would actually be living, like Gossip Girl, where it isn't real to how I I could actually lead my life. But this book really covers sort of the breadth of the New York City experience in in a way that I don't think I typically see in books. And she writes in just such a fascinating and delightful way. And I I love her so much. And that is Garlic and Sapphires by Ruth Reichel. Oh, so good. It's so good. It's so good. I love that. Did I tell you that I saw her here? I can't remember. No. Yeah, she came to Parnassus and... um, she was just as delightful in person. She was like, just, she has a really gorgeous voice too. Mm-hmm. And so she, she was just lovely to talk or to listen to. She, she mm-hmm. actually didn't do a signing. She just did, she just talked um, with Ann Patchett and it was completely, it was wonderful. I was in the front row somehow. I had a friend oh, that saved gosh. me a, a seat and I just wanted to stare at them because they were just both so yeah. beautiful and so wonderful. So it was great. Oh, wow. That's so nice. Yeah. All right. My last one is Breaking Night by Liz Murray. I chose this one because as I was thinking about this sort of memoir, not craze, but how there does seem to be an increase in in interest in memoirs. I thought about this book, which I think I read almost maybe 10 years ago. I feel like it came out in like 2009 or 2010. And it's very much in the vein of The Glass Castle and Educated. But I don't feel like it had the popularity that those those had. So I just thought I would I would talk about this because maybe there's somebody out there that's going to think, oh, this is just right up my alley and I should read it. Um, so the author, Liz Murray, grew up in New York and she both of her parents were addicted to drugs and didn't really care about their kids, I would say, like seemed to love drugs a bit more than wanting to, to be good parents, which I would imagine is often the case um, when you're addicted to drugs, you sort of set aside everything else in order to to have that. So she was kind of just on her own. They, again, lived in poverty, like I said about Trevor Noah, but she would go to school and was ostracized because she was so unkempt and dirty and, you know, wasn't able to like wash her clothes and things like that. At one point, she's taken away from her parents by social services, I believe because of truancy. She hasn't been going to school. And so social services takes her away and they put her in um, a group home. Based on her experiences in this group home, she decides that she wouldn't. She never wants to be back in that situation again. She has a very terrible experience. And so she decides that it would be. she'd be better off being homeless than being in that type of environment. And so at 15, she runs away at the, with the help of her boyfriend, who's fairly certain he's abusive and he's a drug dealer as well. And so she runs away and, and is homeless. Um, and she relies on her friends to basically give her shelter when they can. So she just bounces around from apartment to apartment in New York of her friends. And then when she can't do that, she's just on the street. And then when her mother dies, she sort of has like a little bit of a wake up call and she decides to attend an alternative high school and she ends up graduating and not only graduating, she gets a scholarship and attends Harvard. So the story is it's obvious to me why it was picked up by a publisher because this is an incredible story about this girl who her life easily could have gone down such a different path. In fact, 
I mean, easily doesn't even describe it. Like, it's almost astonishing that she was able to pull herself out of that situation and end up going to Harvard. And it's a very gritty story. I mean, there's a lot to it that is, it's upsetting. And, you know, to think of the neglect that that she goes through. But at the same time, obviously very hopeful because she does, is able to sort of turn her life around and end up going to Harvard despite the awful childhood that she had. We didn't really talk, Anna, I think we had planned on it a little bit, and we could talk about it maybe now, about Educated. So Educated is sort of a similar story, I would say, about a young woman who isn't given a traditional school experience um, because her her dad in particular is sort of like, um, how would you describe it? Like, what do you call it? Like, prepper kind of thing yeah right? like, like a survivalist they, they, a survivalist thank yeah. you um and so and he's very paranoid about people in the government knowing where he is and so he doesn't want his kids to go to school because he doesn't want them to have a record of where they live and things like that and so educated as you would imagine from the title if you have not <laughs> read it uh is all about how not all about but an element of it is about how education basically was she was able to pull herself away from this very dysfunctional situation where she grew up to lead a very successful life on her own Mm -hmm. in part because she was able to get an education and then go on to college so I do think that this is a really good pick if you have read educated and are not familiar with this book but you're interested in maybe some other stories that don't rely so much on like the parents being off the grid in the way they were uh, and educated but more on like these people had addiction issues and yeah. um, and were in and out of jail, and that led to neglect of their child. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was really inspiring. I thought it was harrowing at times. I thought there was some part of it that showed how mundane it can be because it's she's constantly trying to figure out, like, where she's going to sleep that night. And there's a lot of sort of the hustle in that about... Mm-hmm. How is she going to survive? Not survive, because I don't think she's ever really in danger of like dying, but it's a constant thing in her life of like, where is she going to be able to stay? So that is Breaking Night by Liz Murray. That's interesting. I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah, that's another one I did as an audiobook. Yeah. Well, and like, if you put that together with Educated and The Glass Castle, they're all ultimately about the same thing, which is Mm -hmm. parental neglect and coming out of that and rising yeah. above that but all but from totally different perspectives yeah. like educated and the glass castle aren't drug mm-hmm. uh neglect it's mm-hmm. just bizarre views of the world right that that yeah. totally screw up your kids and yeah. but th- that those those kinds of situations can come from all kinds of right. different paths so yeah. it's and, very interesting and how amazing what fortitude that these women had to have in all of those situations yeah. to to pull themselves out of it and how how fascinating it is that for all three of them it's school that does yeah. it like it yeah. is for every single one it's the the knowledge that you gain at school to understand like oh there are other paths yeah like, there are other ways to do this so yeah fascinating Very all cool. right well we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with what we're reading this week All right, Anne, what are you reading this week? This week I am reading Rain and Delilah's Midnight Matinee by Jeff Zentner. 
I don't know if I need to give a disclosure that I go to church with him. Do, oh, do I need to? <laughs> I don't that, know. I forgot you told me that. That's I don't actually cool. know him. I've never met him. But that's so cool. Yeah, but I but he is in the same congregation with me, and I'm the fact or the reason I'm reading this is uh, that his wife runs the book club, and we're reading it as part of our church book club. So. I had read some other books of his and I enjoyed them, but that's the reason I'm reading this one right now. But I think it might be my favorite. It's it's very delightful. So it's about two high school girls named Delia and Josie, and they host a public access show in Jackson, Tennessee called Midnight Matinee. And uh, think of the type of show that Elvira hosted in the 80s. That That's this kind of show. And they play characters called Rain Rep... Rep- Rain Ravenscroft and Delilah Darkwood. Alliteration is not my friend. And they introduce campy horror movies at midnight on uh, weekend nights. So this, between the two of them, it's a perfect project for them because Delia, I keep wanting to say Delilah, Delia's father has a huge collection of B-movies that she used to watch with him, but then he abandoned the family when she was, um, I think, eight or nine. And Josie dreams of going into television, and she loves getting this experience, and they both have a great time working on it together, and they've even had a, a fair amount of success because the show has been picked up by other markets in cities across the country. But this is their senior year, and so Josie is being pressured by her parents to go to college someplace else so that she can do a TV TV internship. And she's just met a guy who has been helping on Midnight Matinee, and she's feeling conflicted about what to do in that situation. And Delia is emotionally invested in the show a lot more than, than Josie is, because she thinks that her dad may be watching, and that he could recognize her, and um, she, she hopes that this will be this this thing that can bring him back and she's also struggling to help with her mom's depression while dealing with her own um she's the the much more stable of the two of them and so she just has a lot on on her shoulders as a, a high school student so she is also struggling with these abandonment issues that she's she's getting they're kind of flaring up as she's uh recognizing that Josie has a different future than she does so they uh, kind of out of nowhere get a an invite to this horror con that's taking place in Florida, and they decide that this is their big shot to meet a legendary horror host producer who can take their show to the next level. But um, they, and so they decide to go on this epic road trip to get to Florida, but they both have a lot riding on this uh, decision that he might or not make. And yeah, it's it's just very intricate of, of how many uh, issues are, are kind of going on within the story. For me, I I think I enjoyed this the most because it has a bit of a Halloween-y mood, which is my favorite. And I love the details about the show and the skits that they put on together. Um, so if you can picture this kind of show, it's, it's a late night hosting show where they show the movie, but then they sort of cut to themselves at different points to do little skits or to do fan mail or um, like they definitely have their own show aspect that goes into it besides just starting and ending the movie. And apparently this was a huge thing from the 50s to the 80s. Um, I knew about Elvira, but I didn't know that that so many other uh, TV stations across the country did this. So I, I this week have been watching some YouTube videos and it's so low budget and it's so campy and it's so fun. And I don't get how I wasn't completely obsessed with this. Uh, when I was a kid, because it's very up my alley. But mostly this is a book about friendship, and it's about growing up and dealing with change. And I like how it portrays those those friendships when you're in high school and you know that change is inev- inevitable, but you also are really uh, saddened by it and you're 
just struggling with with those kinds of yeah the the inevitability of growing up so mm-hmm. i also really like how it portrays small town southern life because mm-hmm. it doesn't sugarcoat it but it also mm-hmm. isn't totally bleak the way that mm-hmm. you often see it portrayed um, i think that the author writes um that world very well and he also it really for a male writer he really gets teenage girls and their friendships mm-hmm. um incredibly well so that is rain and delia's midnight matinee by jeff Sentner. That sounds so good. And I totally agree. He is so good at those small southern town stories where it's yeah. not, it's very nuanced, I think. I don't think he's saying it's a good or bad place. He's not painting it all with one brush. He's saying that it's multifaceted and um, right. really he represents it really well. So it makes sense that he lives in the South. Yeah, I think you'd really like this one. I think, yeah, I've, I've liked the other ones I've read by him. Well, what I'm reading this week is The Vanished Bride by Bella Ellis. And I got a big stack of books on Friday and was like, I don't know what to read. And I've had kind I of saw stress. that st- stack. Did you see? I know. Yeah. If, you followed me on, if you follow me on Instagram, I posted it. And I was like, I don't know what to read. There are so many good choices. But I've had a bit of a stressful week. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. I was filling you in, Anne, on my stressful week. And so yes. when I'm stressed, actually, one of the first things that I notice I don't read as much. I don't know if it's the same for you, but I have a hard time just focusing, like letting yeah. my brain stop going and just focusing yeah. on a story. So I needed something that was going to be kind of light, but also absorbing enough to pay attention to. So I went with The Vanished Bride. It is the first in what is going to be a series starring the Bronte sisters <gasps> as detectives. <laughs> I knew you were going to like this. So I think I actually have a copy of this because I can picture the cover, but I haven't read it yet. It's fabulous. So it is about the Bronte sisters. It starts in 1845. So this is, I in the the notes at the end, she says a lot of it is based on fact. So it is true, I think, that after they had all sort of gone separate places for a little while and then all ended up coming back to Hayworth Parsonage, which is where their father was a parson, um, and living together. So it's the three sisters and then their brother. They're women ahead of their time. They are they're confined by the social structure and restrictions of being a woman at the time, but they're sort of like rebelling against that a little bit and that they want a fulfilling life. They're not happy just sort of sitting idly by. They want a fulfilling life. At the time... I don't know if they're all teachers. At least one of them is a teacher. They haven't really started writing yet is the bottom line. Like they're writing little bits here and there like as a pastime, but they haven't embraced writing as like something is in the way that we would think of the Bronte sisters. So they read about this new thing called detectors who are solving crimes based on intuition, not intuition, but like gathering facts and then reading between the lines. And so they think that they would be fabulous at this. And their friend is a governess at a nearby estate. And the wife of the man who owns the estate disappears one night. And all that all that's left is like a ton of blood. And that's it. They have no other clues. The man's first wife jumped out of a window. So there's all sorts of speculation about did he kill this woman? You know, his second wife, what happened? Where's her her body? Because nobody can find it, but there's all this blood. It was clearly like a traumatic um, injury that happened. The mystery itself is really solid, I think. Like, it's kind of a fun mystery. I think that there are lots of good clues. I think that the fact that they don't have access to everywhere that you would want to have access to, both as like an amateur detective and as a woman at the time, really play well into the reader not having as much information because they're all 
they're trying to find what they can and doing it in ways that they can go to like the dress shop and talk to the woman who's there you know it's I like there are ways that they're weaseling out the information that aren't how a man could access the information right. so um so it lends itself really well to a fun reading experience because as a reader you're just taken along with them plus their personalities are hilarious like there's lots of sisterly and just sibling squabbling in general like mm-hmm. they have very distinct personalities each of them and then their brother is an alcoholic so like yeah. all <laughs> brand well yeah, yeah yeah so like there's <laughs> lots of references to that they're you know their father's like kindly but also sort of like absent and sort of cares more about their brother than them or like anyway so there's just all this stuff to it that I think that if you are somebody who's read the Brontes or knows anything about their books you would appreciate because there are lots of like I said the facts are there but then also there's this old estate that is has secret passageways and sort of the gothic elements of it and then like I said, the mystery is pretty good. Like it's a pretty solid mystery. I I did guess it, but um, but not all aspects of it. So that was it was fun. Um, that is the Vanished Bride by Bella Ellis, and in fact, that's a pseudonym for I think her name is Rowan Coleman. She's like she's an English chiclet author, I believe. Oh, okay. And Ellis comes from Ellis Bell. Yeah, the, the pseudonym. So um, that's great. Yeah. All right, and let's go back and say all the books we read today, or we. Not we didn't read all no, of these today. Not all today. the ones we talked about today. We have read all of them. We have read all of them, but we did not read them today. <laughs> um, I talked about Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me and Other Concerns by Mindy Kaling, Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption by Brian Stevenson, Garlic and Sapphires, The Secret Life of a Critic in Disguise by Ruth Reichel, and what I'm reading this week is Rain and Delia's, or Delilah's, ugh, I'll never get that right, <laughs> Midnight Matinee by Jeff Sentner. All right, and I talked about Heating and Cooling by Beth Ann Fennelly, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, Breaking Night by Liz Murray, and what I'm reading this week is The Vanished Bride by Bella Ellis. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Um, I mentioned my Instagram. You can find me at Hallie770 if you're interested in following me. I do about equal number of posts about my dogs as posts about books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you could, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. It helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we have talked about in this episode. And we appreciate everybody who has commented on those show notes. We we read them all and we respond. Um, We love seeing those. So thank you all for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.